This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We are joined by Madeline Bonsma-Fisher, a U of T data scientist. Madeline, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so uh, Toronto has a, 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 a strategy called Vision Zero. Um, and as part of that uh, strategy, they are looking to aim uh, to eliminate pedestrian cyclist deaths. And is this a move that is the, the that has the goal of 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 getting us closer to that uh, to that goal it's certainly one thing that could help because it's not that it's not a huge factor in pedestrian injuries and deaths but it is a factor the city estimates that about two percent of pedestrian serious injuries and deaths and about four percent of cyclists serious injuries and deaths are because specifically of right turns on red so I'd love to I'd love to talk about it more because I look I'm a best practices guy. You tell me something works and you show me the data to back it up and I'll support it. I don't care if it's left, right, center. I don't I don't care. Uh, uh, if 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 there's a if there's evidence to say that it makes things better, great. But I, I want to give you an example of one um, of of one of these no rights on red in in my life. And and mm-hmm. please explain to me how it makes sense because I've I've tr- I've worked it out in my in my head and it doesn't make any sense. So I. I go north on a street called Avoca. I take a right onto St. Clair okay. uh, many times a day. Now, I can't take the right on red. However, at that same time where I'm prevented from taking that right on red, there are people to my right in their cars from St. Clair making the left onto Avoca. So they, they are crossing the exact same intersection that I would be crossing at the exact same time. So I don't right. understand how this makes the lives of anybody safer if the traffic is still flowing in one of those lanes. Yeah, I think that's a great point, which is that, you know, even if you ban right on red, you still have cases where cars are coming through a place where pedestrians are allowed to walk and they're, you know, might be in the same place at the same time. So I think that's, um, I would actually say that's the bigger issue and that if we really wanted to address safety for pedestrians and, and cyclists and people outside cars, we should really think about trying to prevent that kind of conflict at all. So this would be things like separate turning phases for vehicles. Yep. Whenever there's a walk signal for pedestrians, not having any vehicles crossing their path. And that's definitely possible. There's many places in the world that do it like that. And and, and see, I, th- I and I think that, um, Madeline, is, is, is the rub for, for drivers. I think there are a lot of people like me who will respect any rules of the road so long as we feel they make sense. And something mm-hmm. like this, to me, and it's a small thing. It's not a big thing. I'm, I'm Normally when I'm in my neighborhood, I'm very patient and there's a lot of kids around. So I'm very cognizant of that. I'm not somebody who's in a hurry and driving aggressively. Um, so if they tell me to wait, I'm going to wait. Um, but but there, there are certain types of drivers who are going to look at that and say, this doesn't make sense. This is punitive. This is being done. It's yet enough. For those who believe in the notion of the war on cars, they view this as another volley in that war. And what I feel that that does, unfortunately, is it, it creates animosity and aggression in certain types of people. And those are the, the, those are the types of people who are going to burn through a yellow as opposed to stopping. Uh, because they feel that they've been stopped too many times. It doesn't feel to me like this has been a well thought out um, uh, plan, at least in certain certain intersections. I'm sure it works in, in others, but in certain intersections, to me, it feels that all it has the, the uh, impact of doing is further alienating people who should be coming together as we share the road. Hmm. One thing specifically about right on red that's different for say a left turning car is that at least when I'm turning right, I'm often looking left for cars that are are potentially coming from my left. 
And so one thing that can happen is you're not really looking for people who are walking from your right side or coming from your right side. So there is a kind of, there is a bit of a different safety profile for that turning movement. So it's not that we should, so it might still help to ban just rights on red and allow other types of turning. And uh, I, I did, I did pose this question on Twitter the first time uh, I saw it and, uh, and, you know, certain people came for me, but I actually got some good information from others. And somebody suggested that this was a choice that was being made in neighborhoods with um, larger elderly populations, people who need to take more time crossing the street. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't, but that is interesting uh, just to give people, you know, more, more time and less pressure to make their crossing. Um, I've also found out that this, this concept of, I honestly believed that um, having come from Montreal and then moving to Toronto, that um, there was a constant, there was constant pressure on cities to move away from no right on red to a world closer to what uh, we had in Toronto. So away from Montreal uh, to to Toronto, that was my conventional wisdom. But now I'm seeing that um, more and more cities are adopting uh, restrictions on right-hand turns on red lights. Washington, D.C. is banning rights on red uh, as of 2025. So this is, this, is not, this is not specific to Toronto, and it feels like the, the, you know, Toronto is actually, or um, uh, Washington, D.C. is going a step further than a city like, uh, like Toronto. Um, and, um, and so I guess where, where is this, where is the push coming from? Where's the drive coming from? How, is, how are cities... How are more and more cities adopting this when it felt like it was going in the opposite direction for the longest time? Yeah, I think originally, you know, it was introduced, Red Armour was introduced as a way to potentially save some time and gas for drivers. And in the years since, people have taken a look at it and said, did it actually accomplish that? And if not, do we want to maybe go back to the way things were before, before the 70s and remove these? You know, Quebec uh, introduced Red on Red in, I think, 2003, and Montreal was the exception by not taking it. Uh, so now I think there's a bit of a, a shift the other direction. People are starting to think more about how can we make the city work best for everyone and keep people safe. I, and, and I 100% agree. I just hope that the city looks at some of these circumstances and realizes that in certain circumstances, it's actually sillier than it is effective, like the, the example that I brought up. But look, the, the priority should be that as we share the road, uh, we keep as many people safe as possible. And if, if this has the effect of dropping uh, fatalities, then I'm for it. Uh, Madeline Bosma-Fisher, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben, for having me. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. We're joined by Henry Chu from the North York Harvest Food Bank, which serves over 25,000 people every month. Good morning, Henry. Thank you so much for being here. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Good morning, Ben. All right. You know, we, we talk a lot about the demand and the pressure on food banks this time of year. Uh, but I'm so glad to be speaking to somebody who's actually the boots on the ground, who's actually helping those people. Talk to me about how things are things different. Do they feel different this year? Uh, different in the sense that uh, obviously this year we have one in 10 Torontonians relying on food banks. Uh, that's that's a huge jump. Um, and the, it continues to receive more and more people coming to the food bank uh, through our network of uh, agencies. Um, certainly, it, it's a very difficult time for those who are coming. And at the same time, it's also very uh, um, overwhelming for our volunteers and staff on the front line. And uh, I, I want to talk about what you need right now. How can Torontonians who have something to give 
give in a way that is that 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 satisfies the needs of the food bank because sometimes we think we're donating the right thing and it's not what you need. So tell us about the things that you need from Torontonians right now. And first off, I want to say the community has been extremely generous in terms of supporting those who are in need. And we're very thankful for that. Um, The fact that we can continue to accommodate the rising number of people coming to the food bank is because of their generosity. In terms of how to support, there are many ways, Uh, of course, donating food, uh, donating funds, uh, especially this time of the year, uh, you know, volunteering, collecting food and, and help sorting food at our warehouse. Um, some of the items we need most, uh, the usual cooking oil, uh, rice, pasta, and grain products, uh, beans and lentils, uh, canned tomatoes, and canned proteins. Now, all those products, uh, uh, really, it's um, regardless of one's ethnic and religious backgrounds, they can use those products. Uh, and at the same time, they're really nutritious and um, protein-dense, so they don't need a whole lot to feel full. And we should let people know that they can donate or drop off food at many grocery stores and fire hall locations in North York. Um, They should check your website for details. What is your website? Let us know what that is. It's NorthYorkHarvest.com. Henry Chu from the North York Harvest Food Bank. You are doing great and tremendous and essential work for our community this holiday season. So on behalf of everyone here, to everybody with you, we want to thank you very much for everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. I'm very pleased to be joined now by outgoing Mississauga mayor and new leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Bonnie Crombie. Uh, Bonnie, great to talk to you. Great to talk to you again. Good morning, Ben. It's great to be on your show. I think this is a first for me. It is indeed. And I should point out uh, in in an effort of full disclosure that uh, a number of my colleagues at the Aurora Strategy Global Group uh, helped Bonnie's um, uh, campaign, leadership campaign. I was not part of that, but I feel it's incumbent upon me to let the viewers, or the, the listeners know uh, that I have that relationship. Um, Bonnie, uh, you are leaving a job that I know you loved because I talked to you about it right. a long, long time ago. So how are you feeling it's, I, I'm sure it's bittersweet. Well, you're, you're, you are getting right. what you wanted in that you are now uh, you've ascended to the leadership of the Liberal Party. But it, 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 right. it, it must be bittersweet. It is with a lot of mixed emotion and a very, very heavy heart. Last Wednesday was my final council meeting. I'll have one more general committee and one more regional meeting. But at that meeting, I called the meeting to order. I started the land acknowledgement and it occurred to me at that moment, this might be the last time I actually read this. And I got a little teary and I choked up a little. I got very emotional and I looked down at the chains of office at that moment, weighing very heavily on my (laughs) shoulders and thought, oh my gosh, I'm leaving a job, a community, people that I love. Oh, goodness. But of course, I felt the need to, to make a change uh, at the province. Um, the, the the people of Mississauga, it seems to me, don't like change very much. They've had two mayors since 1978. Uh, what's ne- <laughs> what do you tell, what do you tell those voters as they as they they wait to jump into the unknown? Oh, goodness. So I've now been mayor nine years. Hazel, of course, mayor 36 years. Ron Searle and Martin Dobkin, each two years uh, ahead of Hazel. I am the fourth mayor of the city of Mississauga, and we will be 50 years old next year. And surely enough, 50 years ago, many parts of Mississauga were still farmland and fruit trees. And right at here, Ontario and and, uh, Burnham Thorpe, 
still cows and horses grazing on that land. But today, there's been such an incredible transformation. I like to say that we are a dynamic, bright, growing, diverse, inclusive, urban edge city. We have the second, we are the third largest city in the in the province of Ontario with the second largest economy. We're a net importer of jobs and we're on track to build 120,000 new homes. It's such a vibrant community and I'm so honoured and I want to thank the people of Mississauga for giving me this opportunity to lead. I'm talking to Bonnie Crombie as she says goodbye to the, mayoral, the, the, the mayor's office uh, of Mississauga. Bonnie, those are some positives about the city of Mississauga, what are some of the challenges facing it as you leave? Well, certainly continuing to grow public transit. We have LRT coming 19 kilometers, 18 stops. We desperately need a loop around the downtown uh, because, of course, we're having 116 new towers, uh, 60,000 new people and jobs uh, join our downtown in the next 20 years, joining the 50 towers that are there now. No, I'm sorry, Kate, I, I want to... You- so there's 50 towers now, and you, there are going to be 116 new ones? Yes, with unlimited heights and densities in our downtown. Absolutely. We have mixed-use communities by the waterfront, two beautiful new ones, Brightwater and Lakeview, right at the water. We're building out at what we're calling Uptown. There's so much growth and development. It's The Mississauga is booming. It is kind of a golden time. I've never seen so many cranes in the ground. 33 cranes in the ground. We have an all-time record high of construction happening, a 30-year high, and it's the second highest number in Canada, quite frankly, after Toronto. So, so much growth and development happening in Mississauga. I'm so very pleased. But Bonnie, why uh, would you want to leave then? Oh my gosh, because as mayor, I get to listen to the challenges of everyday people. And people are struggling, Ben. The direction this province is going is not helping people, I ask them, is there, are their lives more affordable today than they were before Doug Ford? And the answer is no. We have single moms using food banks. We have people who've been let go from their jobs, still struggling after COVID, seeking more assistance using food banks. Young people like my own children, who two of them are married to getting, they're engaged to get married next year. They're losing that dream of buying a home. They can barely afford the rent on their apartments. People, especially seniors, are, are can't, don't have access to health care. Seniors are worried about their long-term care. Uh, are they, the quality of our education is in decline because this government refuses to make investments in education, and they deny climate change. So I listen to the struggles and the challenges of real people because I'm very approachable, and they share with me. And I thought, my goodness, maybe what we have done here in Mississauga can be emulated across the province and that everyone can benefit, not just the people of Mississauga. Well, Bonnie Crombie, we wanted this first chat with you to be about you saying goodbye uh, to the job that you held for so many years in Mississauga. But you got to promise me that very soon you're going to come back on and we can talk about the job that you've just taken, because I think that there are a lot of questions that people have and I would love to ask them to you. Thank you so much, Ben. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're talking about spending habits uh, over the holidays. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So, Michelle, one of the things I learned in getting ready for this is that spending is up this year. But is that because goods cost more or because people are spending more? 
Well, we do an annual holiday shopping survey, and our survey did show that people were intending to spend money this holiday season. So part of it is what you said. They are expecting that things will cost more, and so they're going to look for ways to make their budgets go further. Mm. It really depends on what people deem to be essential, and our survey shows that people still deem you know, the holiday season to be essential. They want to do gift giving. They want to treat loved ones in a special way. And so we are seeing that the malls are very busy. Online shopping has been busy. So, so far, it looks like it's been, you know, quite a strong season. Do you expect today and tomorrow and even Christmas Eve to be very busy in stores? Yes, definitely. So typically Black Friday is the busiest holiday uh, shopping day. What we saw last year is that consumers were really waiting until the last minute. And so when we looked at spending results last year, uh, the busiest day ended up being December 22nd. And so I think we might see that again this year. So our survey shows that consumers are really, you know, they're looking for those sales and deals. They were planning earlier. They were setting a budget this year. Um, but they're really looking for those sales and those deals. And so what we're seeing right now, it's almost a standoff between retails and retailers and consumers. And, you know, at the end of the day, both are winning because <laughs> retailers have had a lot of deals really throughout the months of November and December, not just on those special holiday days like the Black Friday, the Cyber Monday. They've really been spread out this year because retailers know that that's what consumers want. And so, you know, both, I think, are um, are in a win-win situation. You know, you guys do a, a similar study like this every year. Is there Are there any data points this year that stand out to you as different than things you might have seen in previous years? Um, something that's the same as last year that was different from years prior when we were in the pandemic is that people really want to return to in-store shopping. Mm. And so we are seeing a massive spike. So online is still really important. People tend to use online to, you know, look around, see what different stores are offering, see what prices uh, different retailers are offering. But we know that people really like going into the store to do their shopping. They like to go in and they like to get gift ideas. They like to feel that festive feeling. Um, It's a little bit different on Boxing Day because Boxing Day, we tend to see bigger purchases. So mattresses, furniture, self-gifting, those kinds of things. And so we tend to see a bit of a spike of online shopping for Boxing Day. But we saw last year that so many people had to stay home during the pandemic and couldn't go to stores because we had store closures. And so people are really, you know, um, really returning to that in-person shopping um, since last season. And uh, so the two are tied, but, um, you know, we really are seeing very busy malls right now and uh, busy stores. And, you know, that's great. We've been talking with Michelle Washer listen from the Retail Council of Canada. And all morning long, Michelle, we've been talking about sort of this unique predicament that retail locations have found themselves in uh, over the past little while with the rise in uh, protests that seem to be descending on retail areas, specifically malls, as well as a rise in thefts and crimes across the city. Uh, so I wonder, did, you, did your group look at uh, theft and crime at all? Um, so theft is, is, is a major issue for retailers. It's, it's really not new. Theft has always, um, you know, been a concern, but we've definitely seen 
a massive spike over the past uh, couple of years, really three, four years. It's really hard to track. Nobody has statistics on theft, and that's because so much of it goes unreported. And so when you think about it, if a retailer um, sees somebody stealing something, they have to keep that person in their store until the police arrive and charges are laid. And so, you know, often that could take several hours. And so, so much of it does go undetected. Uh, we are also seeing a big rise in um, in uh, organized retail crime. And so it's something that we've been working with different police forces across the country, actually. We had a major retail blitz in September, and we actually had one in December as well. And so we're waiting for that data to come through. And um, we're trying to raise awareness on it because, A, it, it impacts the retailer, but it also impacts the consumer. Lots of people think that retail theft is a victimless crime, but it's not because it impacts you and I when we go shopping. There's higher prices. And, um, you know, so we're really trying to raise awareness as well as to combat it by working with police forces and courts and justice systems right across the country. There's a whole ton of work being done. It's uh, something that we can definitely talk about yeah. in length another day. Michelle, who, who would say that it's a victimless crime just because it's a big company that owns the store? That's ridiculous. And not every store is owned by a big corporation. Absolutely. But that's what we hear all of the time. It's really something that's, you know, really the first point that I say and I have been saying since I've been talking about theft, which is, you know, many uh, actually several times uh, per week. Um, but yes, people think it's victimless. They think that the big retailer, um, you know, can can absorb that cost. And, and that's not how it works. And especially given um, the increase in crime that we've seen, it really is spiking. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, as I said, it's really hard to, to have a statistic. Um, but when we speak to our members, um, you know, they're definitely saying that it is a major issue for them. It's escalating and it's definitely something that we you know need to combat which is why we've put in place these blitzes and we're really doing a lot of work with police forces right now to um, combat it and to draw attention michelle uh, so great to hear from the retail council to get that perspective uh, especially in these days leading up to christmas we really appreciate it i hope you have a happy holiday season thank you you too have a nice day